All right, welcome back, Bulldog basketball fans. This is the Drake Basketball Podcast, and I'm here with your co-host, Eduardo. We're back. We're back like the Drake comeback. We are 19 points down and all the way back. That's right. Yeah, so in case you've been living under a rock for the past 24 hours, last night we witnessed a comeback for the ages. Drake defeat uh, St. Louis team. What was the final score on this, Eduardo? 75-69 75-69 ended up being a six-point win. This this was a crazy game. Bulldogs actually got off to a pretty good shooting start. I know DeVries hit a three jumper. Enright had a three. Overton had a three. And we got up to an 11-5 lead. But from there, we just went cold. Travis Ford kept switching up his defenses. And you could just see that Drake wasn't really able to get into a rhythm. Particularly, their 1-3-1 extended zone seemed to give us a ton of issues. Drake had nine of their 10 turnovers all in the first half, which yeah. is a wild stat. Yeah, Drake had a stretch where they had four straight possessions with what you call a pick two, right? Turnover, steal, St. Louis goes down the other end, layup. Four straight times. I mean, it's bonkers. Like, you don't see that really ever at a, in the D1 basketball game. So, yeah, the Bulldogs were really careless with the basketball uh, as you mentioned, the zone was giving them a lot of issues. Honestly, a lot of them just really dumb turnovers, you know, picking up the ball when when you shouldn't pick up the ball or over dribbling or just getting too hurried. But at one point, Drake was down 19 points. Yeah, down 41-25 at half. And the biggest deficit came with 18-44 left in the game where they fell down 44-25. It seemed like you were very confident on Twitter, though. What were you feeling when it was 44-25 and nobody can hit a shot and we can't dribble and we just keep turning the ball over? It's funny because you mentioned my confidence in the comeback, and I was confident when we were down big. I was like, Drake has been bad in first halves all this year. This has been a consistent issue with us. We'll come out in the second half. We're going to play a lot better. Our defense is going to look a lot better. And I would assume DeVries is going to make an adjustment so we stop throwing the ball away every time down the floor. The time that I got nervous was when we had tied the game and then fell down six or seven again. Yeah. At that point, I was I was really worried. I was like, did we expend all of our energy getting back in the game? But the Bulldogs showed a ton of resilience, made, made another run, and we pulled away late. Yeah, that's a good point because – Obviously, they had the big comeback, and they erased that deficit. I think it was in about eight minutes of game time. But then they never got over the hump. They were tied, and then St. Louis started uh, building up their lead. So Drake had to have another mini run to close out the game. I believe they were down seven with about four minutes left. So again, down three possessions, under under four. I mean, yeah, I think at that point, I think, you know, do we do we have enough offense to get it done. And, you know, fortunately they did going back a little bit with the comeback, you know, huge shout out to Colby Garland, uh, his defense in the second half on Jimerson was outstanding. I mean, he completely changed the game. Uh, Jimerson was on fire. You know, he was at 20 points with 18 minutes left in the game. And he just did an incredible job of getting in his airspace and, I think where Connor was getting in trouble guarding him is Connor kept trying to anticipate his move and take the charge, and the ref was not giving him the foul call. And what Garland did was 
jump the move, but strip the ball, right? So he was not trying to take the charge. Instead, it was very active with his hands. What that did, it got Drake going. It got the fast break game going. And I know I was texting you last, last night, but Kevin Overton is like an elite transition basketball player. I mean, anytime he's running the floor, he is such a threat, you know, just has an array of moves to finish strong, whether it's he can pull it, he can pull up, he can finish at the rim, dunk it, you know, he was outstanding. So I think Overton and Garland, I think were the keys to me. And then right, what I would say a quiet 22, you you look up uh, at the box score and you're like, oh, wow, you know, he ended up with 22 points, uh, but what did you see from Drake uh, in that run and then in the last four minutes to kind of get over the hump? Yeah, I think to set the stage for how impressive Colby Garland's defense is, you have to look at the first half and what Jimerson was doing to Drake. He had 16 points at halftime, which is nuts. And he was really getting whatever he wanted all over the court. I mean, he was knocking down threes. They'd set ball screens. He'd go around and win. Connor, whoever was on him, tried to follow him around. He'd just take that first step and either take it all the way in or get free throws out of it. But he was absolutely killing us. And once Colby came in, he was just a difference maker. If you just look at the box score on this, you're going to be like, eh, 17 minutes, had one point. This guy didn't do much. But he completely changed the tone of the game. They went from scoring, getting free throws pretty much every time down the court. And as you mentioned earlier, capitalizing off turnovers to the opposite happening in favor of Drake. And all of a sudden, Drake was the team getting the transition buckets. As a result, SLU didn't have time to set up those constantly shifting defenses anymore. And we were able to start finding a rhythm on offense. So all the credit in the world to uh, to Colby Garland for putting the clamps on Gibson Jimerson, which... What a name. <laughs> I mean, like an all-time college basketball name. And it was a team effort too, because it was it was Coley on him, and it was also the cheerleader in the front of the student section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody was getting in on the action. I'm I'm glad we didn't get like a technical foul on just like the home team for a, a cheerleader push on him. Uh, but no, I mean, really, the definition of a tale of two halves. I was still confident at halftime. I know it looked bleak, but at the same time. I just thought Drake played really poorly and honestly just really dumb. So I had I had a little bit of faith of we're not going to play as dumb in the second half. They definitely amped up the intensity on defense. And I thought they just made a lot better decisions on offense and just weren't getting rushed. As you said, they only had one turnover uh, in the second half versus nine in the first half. But and one thing I, I'd also add, because I know People will look at the box score and Tucker DeBreeze had a poor shooting night, but I actually thought he played pretty well. And I think that that's a good sign. It is disappointing to see. I think he was three of 12, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, which obviously is below his standard. But his defense was great, both as a help defender and individually. He did a good job of passing the ball. Um, he did a good job of rebounding the ball. So I think that's a really good sign. You know, maybe year one, a little bit of year two with Tucker, if he was having a bad shooting night, you ended up having like seven points, two rebounds, one assist, and that's it. And now I think you see contributions all, all across the board. And and I don't think the the poor shooting night is all on him. I think Drake has to do a better job of of getting him in the right sets. And and he can make tough shots, but it, it can't be the expectation that, you know, every every look that he gets is like a 28-foot fadeaway three, right? Of course he can hit those, but 
but we just need to get get him better looks. Anything else that stood out to you from from Drake's comeback, from player performances, or what what do you want to hit on next? Just to touch back on the DeVries comment that you made, Drake fans, I know it's easy to get down when you see a guy who scores 30-some games, 10 others, but the consistency with which he has approached every single game is nuts. I mean, this one, he had 10 rebounds, five assists, three steals, two blocks. That's huge. You would take that from any player, any game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you want to see him score the ball more because the game is just so easy for Drake when Tucker is, is playing well. I think we saw that in the Missouri State game when he gets off to a hot start and he's in a he's in a rhythm. Gosh, everything else feels so easy. And when he's not, you know, our offense gets stagnant. You know, some of our deficiencies at, at the guard position become more evident. But again. On the plus side, he's contributing everywhere else as well. And yeah, that's just not last night either. He's currently leading the team in points, rebounds, assists, and steals for the season, which is part of the reason that, according to the message board, there were scouts from the Knicks, the Rockets, the Thunder, and the Nets in attendance last night. I want to get into kind of our guard play, but I do want to make a comment on St. Louis because I believe St. Louis is actually a pretty decent team. I believe the game against Southern Illinois was an anomaly. I really do. And I was kind of concerned with the game coming in because anytime a team gets embarrassed like they did, you knew that their effort level was going to be through the roof. And it was. I give them a lot of credit because I know Drake fans were probably anxious and thinking oh well we should be blowing them by 50 you know if they lost to southern illinois by 41 but i mean that's not really how it works the st louis performance you saw last night i think is probably more indicative of the team that they are and they've also had some injuries too um so i thought they battled i don't know how you feel about it yeah the transitive property doesn't work in college basketball i mean i think their game against southern illinois was their stephen f austin game yeah like a game where everything went right for one team and everything went wrong for another. And those are just going to happen. It's the nature of the sport. But I think uh, as they continue to get players back throughout the season and uh, they continue to gel, I think that could actually end up being a pretty solid win for us. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I still think that we do have to be positive about the fact that we're eight and one. It feels like whenever we have a bad stretch, uh, the sky is falling uh, for Drake nation but I feel like we have to talk about our guard play, uh, specifically bench contributions. I think we had three points, even though we mentioned the outstanding defense from from Colby coming off the bench. But what's going on? What did you see? I don't know. Point is an issue this season. Um, and it's tough because Connor is so explosive and he's really quick. He plays good defense. And when we're in an up-tempo game, he's perfect because he's great at pushing the ball, finding the open man. I think the issues we're having are coming when teams are able to get their defense set against us. And right now we're sort of lacking someone like Roman that we had last year who was able to probe the defense and create an offensive solution of sorts in terms of how we're going to approach that. Because at times I think Connor's speed can almost be turned against him in some defensive sets because, you know, he'll blow by someone, but in the issue where there's help or they double, he can get a little bit sped up and end up forcing shots. But I think that's something that will probably 
get fixed as the season goes on. And A, he gets more experience playing a starting point guard role, but also he gets more experience playing with all these new faces. Yeah. I think one thing, Connor's effort, his defense, they're all pluses for Drake. I also think that he stays on the floor you know, consistently, because I think outside of Tucker and and Kevin Overton, I think he's probably our most reliable guard three-point shooter. Uh, So that's been a big help. You can tell that he is someone that spreads the floor. And even if things aren't going great, you can still rely on him to, to hit an open jumper. I guess personally, I just think that there are times where Coach DeBreeze is probably putting him in a in a bad situation or in a position where he's not maximizing his abilities. And I think last night he just was not a good matchup uh, for Jimerson. And then on offense, he just was having a, a tough time handling the ball. And I think it's OK to to sit Connor down for a stretch and say, here you go, Colby or here you go, Kyron, um, you know, run the point. Uh, but, you know, it'll be an evolution. And, and like you said, I think Connor will get better. He's still only a sophomore. Um, I I will say when, when Drake was playing Valpo uh, last week, I, as I was watching the game and, and jotting down notes, because, you know, I'm, I'm very professional in my approach to the to the DBP, I wrote down, we don't have a point guard. Um, and and that's how it feels at times. Um, and I think that'll continue to be an issue because uh, we do look very not good when we're not playing up-tempo transition basketball. Yeah, and I mean, I don't even know that it's a point guard. It's like we lack a game manager, which is traditionally the point guard's role. But, you know, you you look at other teams and that's not always, it doesn't always fall to the one spot. And I think putting Tucker in at point forward has also given us trouble at times just because in the past we've relied on him so much as a scorer. And, you know, he's had the ability to get to the spots that he likes then Roman or whoever just gets him the ball in that high post or that short corner where he can go to work. But it definitely is putting a bit of a strain on him trying to generate offense on his own, starting with the ball 30 feet from the hoop. I don't know. Coach DeBreeze is obviously 20 to 30 times the basketball mind that I am, and he'll figure out the solution to it. Really all we're doing is like, hey, there's an issue here. Don't really know how to fix it, but if you could get that, if you could get that solved, that'd be great. I think you're selling ourselves short a little bit too much. Is DeBreeze a career, you know, 75 to 80% win record as a coach? Yes. Have we done now 10 basketball podcasts? I mean, I think it's very comparable. That's a good point. And he's only won, I think, 41 straight non-conference home games. So it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if he gives us a call and just says, guys, I need your help with this. Never say never. Drake Basketball Podcast will always be ready with creative solutions to problems that we see on the court. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, I want to see Darnell Brody at point guard. Uh, Which, by the way, I mean, assist of the year so far, uh, that beautiful pass uh, backdoor to put Drake. uh, I think they put us up three at that point, and then Tucker came down and hit the dagger uh, to put us up six. That was insane. I screamed. Probably the best pass I've seen from a player in a Drake uniform in the past five years. We should just add hyperbole to this game. I mean, that was the best pass we've ever seen. I think we can say hands down, Colby Garland had the most impressive one-point performance you'll ever see. Uh, <laughs> and that and that's not hyperbole. Like, 
he was the player of the game. Like he really was. Uh, we also haven't even talked about Kevin Overton takeover game. Uh, he was huge uh, in that run. I mean, we talked about his transition basketball. He was awesome again. Oh, yeah. He killed it. Eight for 13 from the floor, 21 points in 36 minutes for a freshman. Yeah, he's definitely entering that territory of you have to keep him in the game pretty much the entire game. I mean, he's really that important for Drake. One, one other odd note that I'll add, uh, I knew we were going to win when Wright was in the corner getting ready to shoot a three and the St. Louis defender came over and jumped and clapped midair trying to contest the shot and Wright just splashed it in his face. And that's when I knew that Drake was going to win that game because anytime you see a player do that, it is such a clown thing. And I was like, oh, we have it. We have we have it in the bag now. For being undermanned, the SLU team talked a lot of trash. They were throwing bows. They were getting in. Yeah. I mean, I think it was Tim Dogger was talking mad amounts of trash towards the student section. Like whenever he would finish, he'd be over there barking, which, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that the uh, reprisal was merited. But I think that led to our, our cheerleader having to step up and be the enforcer. She wasn't going to let her student section get talked to like that. There were so many funny moments in this game. I know we've, t- we've touched on a few, but also their their center, uh, Shang. I don't know why every time like he would foul or every time there'd be like a kind of bad play, the guy looked like he was about to like have a breakdown and you had like the St. Louis defenders like, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, so just very weird stuff happened throughout the game. And and yeah, very chippy and lots of trash talking going on. To be fair, that was his first career start. So I'm sure he was overwhelmed with emotion in the moment. Might have been. I, I, you know, you mentioned they had eight scholarship players, and I believe three of them were freshmen as well. So I was impressed with Zhang. He was like, good. No, yeah. he was very productive. I, I was like, you know, once he started getting in foul trouble, that that really helped Drake for sure. Should we get into uh, the Nevada game? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, the Wolfpack are led by a familiar face to fans of uh, Iowa basketball. It is former Hawkeye head coach Steve Alford. The Wolfpack come into this neutral site matchup 7-0, and we'll be matching up with them at the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Nevada. Tough matchup. Tough matchup, but it's exciting to play a team that's coming into it undefeated, uh, obviously. But looking through their schedule so far, they haven't played a lot of quality opponents. You know, their best win beating Washington. So how are you feeling about Nevada? Like, how would you describe their talent level or Drake's chances going into that game? I think they're the best team we're, we've played so far. They're currently 30th in the net rankings. They're getting AP top 25 votes, which ask any Bradley fan, and they'll tell you that is that's the mark Wait, of a win. Did Bradley get their first AP top 25 vote in like 20 in like 20 years? <laughs> they did, and they were very excited about it. Unfortunately, I do think it's going to be rescinded after uh, back-to-back to back defeats against Murray State. Not to digress. Indiana State. And uh, then whoever they just lost to in the non-con. Akron. That team yeah, that we Ak- killed. <laughs> but we already we already talked about how you can't use the transitive property in basketball. But yes, yeah. we did beat Akron by 20, and Bradley did not. Uh, back to Nevada. 
they were picked fourth in the Mountain West this season. And so far, they've been impressive, breaking down their team. On offense, they're a two-headed monster. They're led in scoring and assists by their point guard, Keenan Blackshear, at 17.6 points per game. And right behind him is Gerard or Jared Lucas, I don't know how to pronounce it, at 17.4 points per game. So, Do you not recognize Jared Lucas? You, no, you know him. Him. You just don't know you know him. He was a part of the Oregon State Elite Eight run a couple oh. of years ago. Uh, that that okay. team that beat Loyola and that and beat uh, Georgetown and, and went on that crazy run. I think they were like barely above 500 in the season and then won the Pac-12 conference tournament, snuck in and went on a run. But yeah, great shooter. He's a great shooter. Yeah, that was a spot of bad luck for uh, Oregon State overall. I know they gave Wayne Tinkle a four-year extension after that run because they're like, all right, we've got something here. And they've been pretty putrid since. but. I did not realize that he was a former Oregon State Beaver. Well, we do know a lot about Oregon State basketball in general, so I'm surprised, you know, that that wasn't on your radar. Yeah, I know you're a Beaver enthusiast, so that's definitely uh, something that you would pick up on. But you mentioned uh, Keenan Blackshear, and and that was the guy that that caught my attention right away when I was looking at nevada and who they've played and their stats and he dropped 31 on washington without even attempting a three got to the line 10 times in that game uh so definitely a big physical guard who puts the ball on the floor and just uses his size to score yeah he's six six he's only attempted four threes this year and hasn't made any but from the footage that i've watched of him he's really good at getting downhill and getting to the basket and if he doesn't make it all the way to the rim he has a mid-range game as well so I was looking at that and guessing that that was probably going to be a Kevin Overton assignment. Yeah, that was where my mind went to. I think Drake struggles more with guards that can really shoot it because I think Kevin Overton, and you kind of saw it against Missouri State and Donovan Clay, it, it kind of feels like he is hopefully filling in that void that we haven't had in the last few years of matching up against just really physical guards and he did a great job against donovan clay and i think he's gonna get the assignment of stay in front of him stay out of foul trouble and if he beats us making a lot of mid-rangers then so be it but just don't let him get to the hoop and don't put him in the free throw line yeah and it's interesting because his style is sort of reflected throughout their lineup they only attempt around 15 threes a game making five they've got a lot of length a lot of height and they use that to pound the glass and get to the line. I was looking at their starting lineup, and from a height standpoint, it goes 6'4", 6'6", 6'7", 6'9", 6'10". So we're going to have our work cut out for us keeping them off the glass. They definitely they definitely have some size. We've had some games where we've struggled rebounding the ball just in general. You know, Missouri State had a bunch of offensive rebounds in the first half against us. East St. Louis out-rebounded us last night, even even though they were playing a zone for large chunks of the game. So uh, I think that's probably going to be an area that Drake has to be really sharp because, yeah, they don't take a lot of threes. They like using their size. They rely on the offensive rebounds. So wish we had Garrett Sturts, but uh, he's uh, just on the bench and not on the floor, unfortunately. I think another huge point of emphasis for us is going to be preventing them from getting to the free throw line because Mm -hmm. they also get to the line a ton, averaging 30 attempts per game. And as it stands now, they're 38th in the nation 
four percentage at the line, shooting 76% as a team. We have to stop them from getting those free points. Yeah, and just hearing you say that, I can already picture Brody holding his hands up, claiming he didn't commit a foul, and having two fouls like a minute 30 into the game. So hopefully we're we're disciplined, because, uh, I mean, 30 free throws a game, that's nuts. I mean, that's an insane amount of free throws. Well, and I will say this, their height could work to our advantage with Enright's defense. As we saw against St. Louis, sometimes refs now, the way they're calling blocks and charges, they aren't giving Enright the benefit of the doubt. But if he's guarding a guy who is, you know, 6'8", and runs through him, they're like, oh, look at that poor little fella. She got massacred <laughs> by that monster. It's a charge. Uh, I was going to say, I, I see your rationale. Maybe there's a, a slight a slight advantage there. I think there were, I believe it was four failed charge attempts by Drake on Wednesday against St. Louis. So I think we need to start adapting to the new rule uh, a little bit. Some of those were kind of sketchy. The, the last one, the Kobe Garland one was pretty bad. Yeah, he led with the elbow like, coming through his face as he ran through him in the lane. Yeah. I wasn't buying it. Let's see. Outside of the free throw attempts, Nevada does not turn the ball over. They're second in the nation in fewest turnovers per game. So we need to match them there. We can't be giving them easy points because they're not going to be giving them back. So what are some things that you think we can do well to exploit Nevada? Aside from the Connor Enright charges that will just be happening nonstop. One thing I think that we can exploit is going to be dependent upon us making a change. And that's what we mentioned earlier in terms of getting DeVries the ball in spots where he can create offense out of it. Because I think there's a lot of opportunity here for DeVries to have a huge game if we can get him in the short corner and high post. Yeah. If if he's just relied upon to make contested threes, he'll get them off and he might have a super hot game and make them. But I just feel like if we can get him in the right position with the ball, he could be huge. I also think that because Nevada has the reputation of of getting to the line and, and shooting a lot of free throws, I, I think Adam Wright is going to have a big free throw game because inevitably they're getting calls. He's going to be driving it like, hey, we want the foul calls too. So he did a great job of driving it against St. Louis, and you know that's a big part of his game. So if Nevada's getting free throws, you better hope we have some guys trying to do the same on our end. And I think the thing that you're completely right about Tucker um, need to get him the ball in better spots. Uh, I'm interested to see how Nevada defends the Brody screen handoff to the breeze because um, I thought Missouri State did a horrible job. They just kind of allowed Tucker to operate so freely uh, off of those screens around the free throw area. St. Louis did not fall into that and they just kind of blew it up each time and we didn't adjust well to that so that's a play that they run quite a bit I mean I don't know if it's so much a play it's more just like a hey you take it screen it give it to Tucker it's such quick easy offense if the other team is not defending it correctly yeah and I hadn't thought about this very much until you mentioned that but I'm not calling Steve Alford Dana Ford but this is a matchup where we're going to have a coaching advantage (laughs) Sounds like I you're think, calling them out a little bit. No, I'm calling him, him out a little bit. I'm just oh, not okay. calling him as bad as Dana Ford. <laughs> From an X's and O's standpoint, I think we're going to get some easy bucks this game. 
based off of sets that DeVries draws up in timeouts, which sometimes isn't something you see. But I think they play, for the most part, a pretty straightforward man based off of the game tape that I watched, which, as you know, that's when Drake's offense is at its best. We can get a little bit lackadaisical against zone sets, but give us a straight-up man that doesn't change much over the course of a game, and DeVries can pick it to pieces. Yeah, and I and I'll also say, I mean, I think the Stephen F. Austin game for Drake, there was definitely a trap game feel to it. I think we were definitely looking ahead to Utah State, and in reality, I think Drake's going to be really amped up for Nevada, as you said, probably the best team that we that we have on our non-con all year. So they'll be ready, and I think historically. I think it's fair to say maybe we get a little bit nervous when we're overconfident or just like we're overlooking St. Louis uh, just uh, on Wednesday night. That's not the case. They're going to be ready to go. That's that's the same reasoning I had last week, which I was more nervous for Valpo than I was for Missouri State because I knew we were going to be hyped up for Missouri State. And we were Valpo. We had a pretty slow start to begin with. Yeah. And Drake always performs well coming off of a loss. And St. Louis was essentially like a loss, but without the actual L in the column. Because <laughs> yeah, we played that's a, a good way to put it. So there's plenty, there's plenty to motivate the team in terms of their performance. So I expect them to come out potentially fast. Yeah. This could be yeah. one of our complete games that we play for a full 40 minutes rather than just the last 20. So Missouri State was our best best performance of the season, at least to me. And St. Louis, horrible first half, played a good second half. So I know you're going to be at the game, spoiler alert, you know, official DBP representation at the game. Are you are you feeling like Drake pulls off the win? Yes. Okay, you're on the record. Just like on Twitter, you said we were going to win the St. Louis game. So I'm not making an official Twitter prediction with this one, but I will make a podcast prediction that Drake gets the game done here. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a pretty sizable Bulldog contingent in Nevada, even though it's a 20 hour drive from Des Moines. Drake always seems to perform pretty well at, I won't call this a neutral site location, but at a at a third-party location. Yeah, I mean, uh, at a place that isn't home for both, even though obviously very close to uh, Nevada's campus or home arena. No, I think we get the job done. I like it. I like the confidence. I think we can pull it off, too. We have to play smart. When we limit our turnovers and just run our offense, we're just a good team. And 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 hopefully we don't have issues at the guard position. I think that's always an area that, that concerns me. But we need Kevin Overton to keep playing the way that he's doing. And and I think for this one, we really do need a Tucker game. I don't think we can beat Nevada without, you know, your standard 20-point performance from Tucker. All right, Eduardo, I'm on record. As you know, I think the Bulldogs are going to take the Wolf Pack. What's your score prediction for this game? Oh, I think I have to go with the Bulldogs pulling it out. I am going to, I don't think we're going to hit our magic uh, 80 point mark because, you know, that's a guaranteed win. Uh, but I think we'll get decently close to it. And I think Drake's going to win this game 76 to 71. Okay, just looking at. The Wolfpack's games up until now, they've scored 77, 83, 88, 108, 77, 73, and 80. So they've they've been pretty high scoring. I also think we come up short of 80. I bet we get a 79-75 victory. Okay. We're on record. On record, folks. Do you want to touch on the NBC 
conference window that we just had last week the valley had its first two conference games with drake taking down valpo and missouri state to start 2-0 in conference play for only the second time in the darren debris era i know you were concerned about our ability to get out of valpo's beautiful arena without potentially dropping one but darnell brody showed up and went off to come out of valpo with an 18 point win yeah, I looked very smart for about 25 minutes of the game, and then Drake just uh, really blew it open and, and pulled away. Played pretty poorly the first half. I actually thought that first half were the only 20 minutes thus far that Kevin Overton looked like a freshman. Probably had his worst half in a in a Bulldog uniform, but he responded well in the second half, scoring 10 points. So this was really the Darnell Brody game. He was incredible. 21 and 9. Also had a lot of really good, not only assists, but hockey assists. Uh, so really just controlled the game for Drake. He only played 23 minutes, which is kind of crazy because without him, Drake doesn't win the game. And also off the bench, I thought it was Kyron Gibson that really kind of settled us down and and just gave us a good good punch off the bench. I know we've talked about not having that firepower uh, off the bench to start off the year. So for him to come up with 11 points uh, really gave us a spark. Yeah, Kyron's been great in both of his Valley games so far. So I'm really hoping to see that continue as we move into the Valley season. Um, he didn't get too many minutes against SLU last night, but I still just think the world of his potential and his veteran presence in that lineup at the guard spot. So I hope to continue seeing his minutes grow. After the Valpo game, Drake really took care of business against Missouri State. Just a really impressive performance by Drake. Kind of controlled everything uh, wire to wire. Tucker had it going early. He was feeling it. He got comfortable. He was in the rhythm. And then that was kind of that. I know I talked about it before, but when he's making shots and everything is flowing, Drake just looks like a completely different team. Yeah, to win a title, Drake is going to need to hold serve at home and win the games they're expected to on the road. So Missouri State was a huge statement for us. They've been very good. They opened up the season 6-1, and one, I think. Yep. Yep. And also just because of the athleticism that they have with the struggles that we had shown a little bit earlier on in the season against athletic teams, it was nice to see us get a comfortable win against them. Yeah, this is kind of the antithesis of every Missouri State game that we have, right? Every game we have against them, it's always ugly, it's close, it's a one to two possession game. Uh, this time around, Drake was in full control, and they just did a really good job, I thought, of just being physical and not allowing Missouri State to get into a flow. Yeah, they probably didn't shoot the ball great. Some of that is Drake's defense. Some of some of it is them just missing shots. But at the end of the day, they went 5 of 22 from 3. And yeah, I think they had a bad shooting night, but I also thought that was probably our best defensive performance uh, collectively. Uh, but I think starting off 2-0, just huge to get a head start on some of the teams in the Valley. Obviously, Indiana State has gotten off to a good start at 2-0, but to already have a two-game lead on Bradley, to already have a one-game lead and a tiebreaker against Missouri State, and I guess we should mention a two-game lead against UNI, but I mean, at this point, that should be expected every season, right? Yeah, your prediction for UNI to win the Valley this year has not been looking good. <laughs> don't, 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 jinx, don't jinx my prediction of not understanding why everyone was so high on on uh, on you and I. But 
again, I think one thing that really stood out from this brief conference window is that there's a huge difference between non-conference play and conference play. Belmont looks like a completely different team, winning, just trouncing you and I, going 2-0 in their in their conference window. And then on the opposite side, Bradley looking completely different than how they did in the non-con. Started off the non-conference 6-0, went 0-2, including getting beat at, at Murray State and then at home by Indiana State. Um, so again, you can look really good in the non-conference, but it's looking like, yeah, maybe there's a chance for two bits for, for the Valley, but most likely you have to win the conference. So you got to play a different type of competition, a different type of intensity in conference play. To your point about only getting one bid though, the Valley is currently eighth in the net rankings, which is ahead of both the Atlantic 10 at ninth and the American at 11th. So if the Valley teams continue to show up and take care of business in the non-con, this could be a two-bid league. There's hope. There's definitely hope. I think these next couple of weeks, some key games for the Valley. I, I think as an at-large, a team like Indiana State probably has a shot right now, just looking at their resume and their and their net. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been good. Uh, there's hope. So I guess at least we can be happy that, okay, there's a slimmer of maybe we do get two bids and they can stop the count right now on the net rankings because uh, the Valley's looking pretty good. Another question for you, conference realignment is something that's always ongoing. I know the Valley has said that they're happy at 12 where they are currently. Do we look at potentially poaching some teams from lower ranked conferences like the Atlantic 10 and the American if we feel like expanding? It's like, I know Wichita State and Loyola might be looking to move up to a higher rated league. Um, obviously, there would be an adjustment period where they sort of figure out how to play at this level. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very uh, funny. Who do you think, realistically, say there's a scenario, who who is more unlikely to come back to the Valley? Wichita or Loyola? I feel like it's, it's a toss-up, right? Like, who would be so reluctant? Say the Valley becomes the best conference in the world. They're like, no way. There's no way we're, we're going back. Who do you think would be more reluctant? More reluctant. I think Wichita would be more reluctant to, but I also think they're more likely to because they're in a conference that's in the process of disappearing. Like they're in the middle of the ocean, they're on a boat, and the various wooden pieces are gradually falling off and floating off into the sunset as teams just continue to leave there because the American is firmly a mid-major conference now, which nothing wrong with that. I say that as someone who vastly prefers mid-major conferences to the Power Five. But the conference that they're in now is really no better than the Valley anymore. It's, you've got Wichita State, Memphis, FAU. I don't know how sustained FAU's success is going to be. Um, Memphis is just desperately waiting for the Big 12 to call their name, <laughs> at which point Wichita State is going to be left matching up with Tulane and Eastern Carolina. So I think yeah. they would absolutely despise the thought of coming back to the Valley, but I also think that it's more likely to be them than Loyola, who desperately wants to be transported to the East Coast. We <laughs> uh, never know where some of those conference realignments will end up. And and Loyola and the Atlantic 10, I mean, any, I think any Loyola fan would have to agree that it just hasn't been a good couple years for the Atlantic 10. Just have not had the performances that they had 
the years prior uh, to Loyola uh, joining, and then they also added a bunch of teams. I mean, that conference just—I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of teams for a conference. So, a ton. You have so much dead weight. Yeah, no, uh, there's some really bad teams at the bottom. I mean, how can you not if you have so if you have so many teams? You know, it's just wild when you catch their games on TV because literally half the conference plays in arenas that make the ARC at Valpo look nice. Yeah. But, you know, very attached to that East Coast-ish market. Um, but we'll see. There's still some good teams on there. Uh, and that, like we said before, I'm I'm holding out hope for St. Louis to become a better win, better win for Drake. Uh, you got anything else you want to get out there? No. Big game for Drake on Saturday. They'll go Bulldogs, as always. And uh, Drake Basketball Podcast will be watching. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Drake Dogs. Dominic Johnson and Nate Erickson for getting word about the Drake basketball podcast out there on Twitter on to Vegas. Let's knock off Nevada. Let's do it.